fellow challenge lovers, welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things MTV's The Challenge, past, present, or future, if it's happening in The Challenge universe, and it's an ever-expanding universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hullabaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with us today. On today's podcast, we are discussing one of my absolute all-time favorite seasons of The Challenge, which is season seven, The Gauntlet. Road rules kiss my ass, baby! Yeah! Yeah! Here we go! The players, 28 alumni of the real world and road rules. Yeah! The location, Telluride, Colorado. The stakes, $300,000. I like everybody. This is business right here. Everybody's here to win the money. Our job, this is ours. The challenge, survive the gauntlet. I look at our team and I think that Road Rules definitely has the edge. Road Rules are some very cocky people. I think they're they're used to living in RVs and they're not used to hanging out with people that are, you know, normal. Look out, Road Rules, because here comes the real world. This is the true story. What happens? You pick 28 freaks to live in a mansion. This is the real world Road Rules challenge, the gauntlet. It is the continuation of our 2022 Challenge Series rewatch. Going a little slower than we expected, but going nonetheless. We're on to Season 7, The Gauntlet, all-time favorite of mine. The first of what would become a trilogy of seasons and a massive game-changer in the Challenge universe as eliminations were added into the fold for the first time ever, which I'm already getting ahead of myself here, so... It just lets you know how much, how excited I am. I'm already getting ahead to the evolutions, all the things that are like, all of that. We're going to cover anything and everything about this season that there is to cover. But before we begin that deep dive, some quick house cleaning items to discuss. First and foremost, definitely the most important thing is that if you are listening to this podcast somewhat in real time, if you're not, if this is years after it's posted, thank you for continuing to come back and listen to these podcast episodes. But if you're listening to it in real time, then that means that All Stars 3 is set to prepare next week or within days of you probably listening to this Wednesday, May 11th, Paramount Plus All Stars 3 debuts, and it looks to be an unbelievable season. It has all the makings for an absolutely epic, legendary season of The Challenge, Our massive season preview extravaganza is up on the podcast feed, the last episode right before this one. So if you haven't listened to that, if you haven't checked out the player profiles we've been posting all week long on Instagram at Challenge Historian, all of that fresh, hot, great content is there for you to get yourself prepared for this, hopefully, what lives up to being a truly iconic season of the Challenge All-Stars Season 3. With that new season comes a fresh podcast schedule as well. I will, of course, be recapping every episode of All-Stars 3 as it happens. Those will be out late afternoons on Wednesdays. For the next uh, nine weeks, however many episodes this season of All-Stars is, those episodes, podcast recap episodes, will be out Wednesday afternoon. The show debuts, you know, first thing, uh, one minute into Wednesday on Paramount+. Plus. I will wake up, watch, record the podcast right after, post that afternoon, it seems all signs point to two episodes being dropped when the show premieres next week on the 11th. So next week, there will be a recap podcast on Wednesday for episode one, probably on Friday for episode two. I'll give them a couple days space there. But then every week after that, Wednesday afternoon, All-Stars 3 episode recaps coming 
at you all the way through the season until an All-Stars champion is crowned. Along with that, I will be continuing the 2022 Challenge Series rewatch just without any set detailed schedule. I'm hopeful that there'll be a new season recap podcast up about every two, maybe every three weeks at times throughout the season of All-Stars. Those will always be posted on Fridays as this one and the last few have been whenever I do have them available. Once All-Stars 3 is over then, we will see where things are at with Challenge CBS, Flagship MTV Challenge before deciding on how to progress and how quickly to progress continuing through that Challenge Series rewatch. Still hoping to get through as many of, if not all, of the seasons sometime in this calendar year. Thank you so much for the support for that, by the way, and the patience, especially so far with this Challenge Series rewatch, as it certainly has been a bit more of a commitment than I originally anticipated. But Y'all are diving in, listening along, interacting with everything over on the Instagram page. Uh, It's made it very much worthwhile, even more worthwhile than I ever could have imagined already. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. All right, that is all done. To the Wyndham Peaks Resort in Telluride, Colorado, we must go. Our schedule for this particular podcast, the agenda, if you will, remains the same as the previous season recap podcast, which will be... First, to stay the challenge at the time of airing, then start macro level, season basics, evolutions that would take place. Follow that up by diving a little deeper, a discussion of the major storylines of the season, and finally getting more granular, super detailed level as we hand out awards for all sorts of things up to and including our season MVP and final season grade. It may be TJ's, uh, Johnny Mosley's at this point, final, but These are my record books, and we must fill them in. So let's get to it. Season 7, The Gauntlet. Here we go. Kicking things off is our state of the challenge back all the way in late 2003. This was filmed in 2003, this season, season 7, The Gauntlet. Filmed in 2003 at the basically at the exact same time that they were filming Road Rules Extreme, which would end up being the second to last season of Road Rules, and as well as currently in this moment filming Real World Paris. So a real high point for the Real World franchise, a low point near death moment for the Road Rules franchise in the challenge, very much just going into full swing as we've talked about with the last two seasons, that transition from the Road Rules being the kind of competition series that they had the resources behind to the challenge taking that over very much was pretty much done at this point. I mean, it's not done until Road Rules doesn't exist anymore, but we're about a year away or so from that happening at this time on the calendar. And so it really had become just the challenges world. Real world was still, I mean, it was still early in its days of domination. You know, it's still had another 20 seasons or whatever to go and at least, you know, 10 to 15 more seasons that were just, you know, awesome, awesome, awesome stuff before it ever starts swindling out. So that's going as great as can be. Road rules is not the challenge is getting all the resources and even more so it's getting so many resources that they are so confident where they have previously been kind of on the one season a year vibe and then with this season this was the second time or the first time that they had ever done or uh, not filmed but because the filming was a little bit further apart but where they aired two seasons in one calendar year, where season six debuted in January of 2003 and ran, you know, to for 16, 17 weeks, whatever it was. And every season prior to that had been that January start time and kind of been just one season a year. 
airs starting in January and goes as long as and however many episodes. This one starts in September 2003, goes until middle of January 2004, and then literally the next week, there is no off season between this season and season eight, The Inferno. They film them back to back as closely as possible while still allowing a few cast members to be on both seasons. But then they literally aired them back to back. This season ends the very week after the last final episode. Instead of a reunion episode, they air a kind of bridge special between the gauntlet and the Inferno. We'll talk a little bit about that when we cover season eight the next time around, because it's a little bit more focused on season eight than it was this. But they're filming two seasons at once. They've officially begun with this season airing a fall slash winter challenge season. And for a lot of the rest of the history of the show, they would try to bang out two seasons per calendar year and have a, you know, spring, summer and a fall, winter type of schedule with as short breaks as they could get between them, depending on season length. So that is all happening. Things are going as good as could possibly be. But the one thing that is also going on in the world of the challenge, but within the world of reality television and specifically reality competition television is Survivor, Big Brother, and Amazing Race are starting to be big deals, especially Survivor. Survivor is a huge, huge, huge deal at this point. They're in their third, fourth season range. The first couple were massive, massive successes, and Survivor is a huge, huge ordeal at this point. Pretty similar story with Big Brother. It is not to quite the size of Survivor or even the challenge is, uh, to be fair, at that point. But because of its completely different format and the amount of episodes and everything, it is just as culturally relevant because it's freaking always on and everyone's watching it. And it's, at that time, early tech days, early 2000s, the idea of the Big Brother, of the cameras in the house, everything like that. It is definitely its own kind of cultural phenomenon. An amazing race to a slightly less degree than the other shows, but still was starting to have a big following, was starting to be a big deal. And those four shows along, or those three along with the challenge would definitely become kind of the Mount Rushmore of reality competition series. Challenge obviously started at first and foremost. Survivor is definitely probably the, you know, even a very biased person like myself, Survivor kind of has the cultural championship of just, you know, they had Jeff Probst the whole time. Maybe if Challenge had TVJ Lavin the entire time. So a couple other things go a little different. Maybe it, uh, you know, fits in. But to me, it's the best of all time. I think to the general public, Survivor would win like a straw poll on the greatest ever. That's not to be discussed today. All that matters is because the challenge had started first, got a few seasons under its belt, and then Survivor and Big Brother most notably start to take off. Are these huge cultural phenomenons? There is a feeling, and everything I'm about to say after this is my thoughts personally from the outside. I've not talked to anyone yet. Hopefully one day will on the production side, uh, especially production side at this time of what they were feeling, how they thought they needed to differentiate themselves. But from the outside, it seemed like Right as those shows started getting bigger and bigger, the challenge definitely continued through some of its evolutions. We're going to talk about them in a moment. This season had a couple big, big, big historic ones that changed the franchise forever, and it seemed like it was, you know, dialing up the gameplay, dialing up the competition, trying to differentiate themselves a little bit from the voting off system of a Survivor or Big Brother. The previous two seasons of this show saw a, you know, a voting off by some sort of tribunal or, you know, inner circle as it was called. But 
a little bit more similar to a Big Brother or Survivor where someone is voting someone out versus a competition to get someone out. This season, as we're going to talk about shortly, introduces eliminations, ups the gameplay, ups the competitive nature of things, and just kind of starts to slowly turn the first notches of that competitive dial up to where you know, long ways down the road, this will be regarded as a true sport in a little bit different way than a Survivor or Big Brother are exclusively kind of considered games. They, they feel like sports, but they are, they're referred to as games where the challenge, some refer to it as a game, a lot refer to it as a literal sport because it is, you know, taking that type of mantle up. That really starts with this season and it feels like it was on purpose and it feels like the timing of it with Survivor and Big Brother out there doing what they were doing at the time. It was very purposeful to try to differentiate the challenge and continue its positive momentum as well right alongside of those shows. That's kind of where the challenge was at. Then Let's quickly then, we've mentioned the evolutions a bunch of times already over and over, at least the one big one. We will get to them momentarily. First, let's run through just a couple basics about this season. We know where we are going into the season. Now let's actually check in and start talking about the season seven, The Gauntlet. It aired, as we previously said, September 2003, January 2004, the first ever, you know, second season of a calendar year. The location, for the first time ever, they were here in the good old U.S. of A. in Telluride, Colorado, at the Wyndham Peaks Resort, as well as that pool outside of a different hotel that looked just to be like a Holiday Inn. Absolutely one of my favorite features of this season is that the gauntlet was just at that pool on the outside of a hotel that wasn't where they were actually staying. Just absolutely love that. Uh, It was hosted by Johnny Mosley, his second season on the job. It would be the second of eventually what would be three seasons before we would soon enough get to the greatest host ever, TJ Lavin himself. Johnny Mosley's here, second season. Prize money back to $300,000, which is the the most it had ever been a couple seasons. It has been $300,000. It dipped, and now it's back to $300,000 again, plus a few small prizes thrown in here and there for daily challenges. Very few of them, which was a little bit disappointing, but there were some cars at the end for them. Not as celebrated how many the cars giving away Saturn and their their multi-season sponsorship here really starts to dip. So that's some of your basics of the season. The final basic to cover is who was on this season, which it's a big, long list. We got 28 people. I will run through it very quickly for you here. Team Real World first. We had Alton from Las Vegas, Coral from back to New York, Miz from back to New York, Nathan from Seattle, Norman from New York, Theo from Chicago, Irulan from Las Vegas, Rachel from back to New York, Trishel from Las Vegas, Elka from Boston, Matt from New Orleans, Tanya from Chicago, Montana from Boston, and David from New Orleans. Then on the road rule side, we had Adam from the Quest, excuse me, Cara from Cara, yes, Cara from South Pacific. Cara Maria is not on this season for another 12 seasons. Kara from South Pacific, Darrell from Campus Crawl, Dave from South Pacific, Rachel from Campus Crawl, Ronnie from Northern Trail, Sarah from Campus Crawl, Theo from Max Velocity Tour, Veronica from Semester at Sea, Abe from South Pacific, Letarian Max Velocity Tour, Steve the Quest, Tina South Pacific, and Katie the Quest as well. So those were your two teams. Those were your 28 folks, an absolutely stacked cast absolutely stacked cast especially on the female side we will cover that even more in depth when we talk season grade at the end of this podcast now to those evolutions and obviously the eliminations are the first one we have to talk about we've mentioned it twice already but there couldn't be a big ever bigger evolution 
in the history of this game than introducing elimination challenges. Obviously, nowadays, we couldn't think, couldn't fathom a challenge season without elimination matchups. And the fact that we went six seasons before we ever even got them and that they would dare to ever even do another season, one of them, the island, where there wasn't real elimination challenges, there were still kind of elimination challenges in a way on that season. So probably the biggest evolution in the history of the game over any other format thing, over any other casting thing, location thing, host, any, any, any possible thing, housing, anything. There is nothing bigger in the history of the game than when they decided going into this season that voting was not a proper way to eliminate people. The proper way to do it was to have another type of competition and make these people go one-on-one or two-on-two. And it just it changed the game forever. And it obviously, um, you know, it's depending on if you where you fall on the show versus sports spectrum that I like to always reference, the two pillars, the kind of show part of the show, the sport part of the show, show versus sport. Obviously, if you're someone who comes here almost exclusively for the show stuff, you want the reality show, you want the human interest, you want the drama, you want the romance, you want the messiness, all of that, then the eliminations are sometimes probably just as bothersome as the daily challenges. But I would say the daily challenges even more, if you're a super show over sport type of person, you probably much more have some umbrage with the daily challenge content versus the eliminations. I think the eliminations would still be a lot better and more entertaining for you. But if you're on the sports side of things, obviously the eliminations are everything. If you ask someone like myself who is pretty balanced but admits the really deeply at my core, I'm kind of on the sports side of thing. You ask me to name my top five to 10 moments just off the top of my head. What are your favorite challenge moments ever? I'm probably going to start just rattling off eliminations that I remember that I love, that I adore, that get me on the edge of my seat, that just get me all jacked up and riled up and just suspense and glory and all the things that come with a heart-pounding elimination match. They they make the show, um, in my estimation, and they obviously make the game a way, way different game, giving anyone and everyone a chance to earn their way, to keep their way in the game, even if their political or social game is complete and utter shit, even if everyone on their team, the other team, the whole house hates you, you can't get eliminated until someone goes down, usually in the sand, and beats you. So, eliminations, the first ever of those, amazing, amazing addition. A specific set of games to be played at the elimination, which should be noted because that will eventually be another evolution of its own, going from a specific set to a bunch of different games that no one ever knows. This season, they got the little dice that they have to roll. And the other part of this, one of the only seasons ever that has cross-gender or no gender requirements, I guess, cross-gender matchups potentially, basically no gender requirements going in. Both teams nominate on their own in, you know, in secret. They put the person up. If it's a man and a woman, great. They roll a specific dice with games that cross-gender could play. If it's a man and a man or a woman and a woman, they can roll the dice and play uh, games meant for the same gender. It's interesting that it works really, really well this time. It doesn't always work as well later on in the history of the show, but it works kind of fantastically this time around. And the specific set of games, again, is important. I think they play six different elimination games, and I'm not positive. I this is the only I reviewed a lot of footage for a couple segments coming up. The one thing I never really reviewed really in detail is if they didn't play a game, if there was one spot on either the die that did not ever get rolled. But 
I think both dies have six faces, and I think there's the names doubled on each one. So I think there's only three and three. So I think they got all six at some point. But anyways, eliminations for the first time ever. Specific set of games that could be played. No gender requirements. The other big, big evolution of this season was one house for everybody. All 28 people piled into one house, which, gotta say... One one of the many, many, many things I look forward to doing once I've recapped all 37 seasons and refreshed my mind on every single one of them is trying to rank the you know best challenge houses ever. And this one is definitely going to be on it. It is massive. It's got a beautiful long view of the countryside in Colorado. It's got your hot tub. It's got your deck. It's got a big yard. It's got all kind of multi-levels in it, a bunch of rooms and a big party area. It's got everything you could want. And it's one house for all of them. The previous few seasons, while they had been in one location for a few seasons, they'd always been in two villas. The teams split up. This time, they're in one single house for the first time ever. That's how it would be essentially the rest of the way in the history of the show, not counting, you know, your redemption house thrown in here or there occasionally. Then the next evolution was for the first time ever there, while it was kind of small and almost didn't matter, it mattered once, very slightly, no, twice, mattered twice, very, very slightly, but this is the first time they ever changed the game in the middle. They ever announced a second phase of the game, a twist, quote unquote, if you will, although this one didn't feel like a twist, a big surprise, and that was that in the middle of the game, Johnny Mosley announces we've entered phase two, which means now a lifesaver is in play at every single one of the daily challenges. One person from each team will win a lifesaver. They would not be able to use it for someone else the way they had in previous seasons, and they would be able to in future seasons. They could only save themselves with it or become the tie-breaking vote, which is the only time it ever really came up. Anyone that ever won it, I guess with the exception of one time, the second-to-last challenge, yeah, second-to-last uh, daily. Veronica wins when her team was ready to vote her in. So I guess she did save herself one time. The rest of the winners are always, you know, it's Alton almost every time. And he's, he's only going in if he volunteers to go in, but he one time, very crucially, the final, final, uh, elimination has to be the tie-breaking vote to send someone in. And just as crucially, Theo Vaughn has to be the tie-breaking vote one time between Sarah and Abe, which eventually means leads to Abe going home. So, it does come into play a little bit, and it's the first time ever that middle of the game, the host announces, there's a twist. We're changing something about the format. So pre-lifesaver, post-lifesaver, two phases of the game. And the final thing, kind of an evolution. It's kind of already happened, but I feel like this season is the first time it really, really fully takes hold. So it's got to be mentioned here, and we'll talk about all these people and this idea kind of throughout this podcast. But the challenge stars become a thing. It, and it becomes a thing that people are now stars on the challenge and they are stars within the challenge universe versus just having been a star on the real world or the road rules. But now it's their challenge star. And from a viewing standpoint, that happens in a big way with Miz, Coral, Veronica, Theo, and I would even throw in Norman on that list uh, for this season. Those five really... Four, with respect to Norm, he kind of, uh, I throw him on the end of the list, but really Ms. Coral, Veronica, and Theo at this point now in their second or fourth season in Veronica's case, uh, 
are legitimate stars of this world. And from a viewer standpoint, you're like, oh yeah, they've been here before. They're really good at this. They're going to dominate the game. You know from the first episode, they're going to be stars of the show in one way or the other. And then they are stars of the show. So that kind of reoccurring second, third, or fourth time even for some of them that they are kind of the star of the show while they're on it on this show is a bit of a new thing and would become then the standard, obviously, as these people came back for, you know, some of them dozen plus seasons in a row, but not just from the viewer standpoint, from the game standpoint, there started to become reputations in the game, which is the other way that kind of a challenge star became a thing. Up until this point, some people had done a second season or Veronica, you know, a little ahead of everyone had done a third season on the previous one, but no one had really fully established a real rep in the game of the challenge, they came in with reputations, especially the road rulers came in with reputations, having done some sort of competitive stuff on their season of their OG show, but not so much the real world. So they came in with that whatever personality reputation they had, but now people officially had reputations in this game. For instance, the biggest one of those on this season was The Miz, who his whole team from day one looked at and openly told you're our leader, you're the one, we want you to go first and everything, show us how to do it, tell us how to do it. If anyone needs to make a tough decision, it's gonna be you. You're our leader, you're our best player, this, that, and the other. That was paramount from the day one, and that was mostly because all the people had seen him on a previous season do really, really well and take a leadership role with his team, and now they kind of came into the game knowing, okay, Miz is a star. Miz is really good at all this stuff. Miz knows how to do this. Miz is one. Same thing for Coral. Those two kind of come as a package just as they had previously as a partnership on Battle of the Seasons. Veronica, the same thing. Theo, very much the same thing on Road Rules was looked at as like, hey, Last season, you were on Battle of Seasons. You absolutely dominated. You were the kind of de facto team leader by the end of it. You kicked ass at everything. We expect the same out of you. Alton becomes that uh, quite a bit throughout this season. It is very clear right away that his reputation is pretty cemented within like three or four daily challenges. And then in the house, he's just looked at in a different way and would continue to be looked at that way on future seasons as that guy's way better than us and all of this crazy stuff that we have to do. And even to a small degree, Rachel Robinson, there's flashes of it. It doesn't fully happen, um, but there is little flashes of it. So challenge stars are a thing. We get two phases of the game. We get one house for everybody. And of course we get eliminations. Those are the big evolutions that we saw on this season. With that, we've covered the highest, highest level of what, what went down. Let's get one step deeper then. And let's go ahead and discuss the biggest overarching storylines of the season. And if you've watched this season, if you remember anything about this season, you know exactly where this is going to have to start. Sarah Grayson. We have somehow went this far into the podcast already without mentioning her name, and we cannot go any further. The first and obvious storyline that has to be discussed when looking at the gauntlet the one that lasted all season long, the most memorable part of this season when looking back, when if someone asks, what are your first opinions? If someone just mentions the gauntlet, what's the first thing that pops in my mind? And I bet most people that have seen this season and or super fans of this particular season as I am, that first thing has to be Sarah Grayson, five-time gauntlet winner and eventual champion on this season. 
truly, I mean, it's, it's the, it is the most dominant storyline. So it's not just that, uh, it, I find it the most impressive or that it's my favorite or anything that we're starting with it. We have to start with it because it is the storyline of the season. It is the overarching one, literally from episode one to episode 15. It is the only one that lasts kind of the entire way. A few other big storylines pop up here and there. We'll talk about them after we talk about her, but we've got to start with her because it is it's an iconic challenge season she wins five gauntlets out of 14 available she goes into over a third of the gauntlets possible she wins all five of them she goes to the final she wins with her team and she never plays the game again a one and done champion that went five and oh in eliminations it's one of you know, depending how you look at most dominating seasons ever, I recently did a podcast with the Challenge Fandom uh, podcast host. You should check that out. Check out all things Challenge Fandom podcast, Instagram page, Facebook group, the whole thing. They do wonderful, wonderful work. A bunch of great people over there at the fandom community. But when we did a podcast about the most dominant season in the history of the sport, this one, of course, had to come up and be weighed depending on how you weigh dominant. Some would say, and many of the ones we were to propose were ones where they didn't go into an elimination because they were dominant politically and socially in the game. Sarah was not that. She was the other side of the coin where super dominant just in that she kept winning everything, even if her political game, at, for no lack of trying, you know, was complete shit because her social game, for whatever reason, came into the house as the one regarded as you're going in. It kept happening, kept happening. We're going to dissect it all here in the few following moments. But one of the most dominant seasons ever, truly iconic, and having never coming back to the game, he makes it even more iconic and legendary because this is all we have to go off of of her track record, and it's one of the best seasons ever played. So hats off to her. Let's walk through it. First off, she comes from Campus Crawl. So she comes into this game, and she had, you know, having come off that, has Darrell and Rachel both here from that iconic cast season. Um, maybe the best cast ever to come from a Road Rules or Real World uh, season, either one. Heart, you know, that's a long debate for another show. And honestly, probably other hosts that know those shows a little bit better, specifically Real World, than I do. But one of the iconic cast, they come into the show together, Rachel's second season, um, but Darrell's first, Sarah's first. And she has a reputation coming with her from that show of not being the most athletically gifted or the most motivated in the competition side of things. And Darrell and Rachel let that be known right away that, hey, I'm a little worried about this uh, chick being on our team. I don't know how it's going to fare if in the early going here, we got to, you know, we have no idea what to base anything off of the first few challenges and whatnot. I'm willing to go on a, just to go out there and say that she's not going to be a huge help and that she would be a good option early in the season. So she comes in with that reputation, which is starts off a little unfair. I, I will admit, I don't remember much uh, to anything of the campus crawl season other than the cast being amazing. So uh, they show some footage, I believe Darrell and Rachel, uh, when they say, you know, her performance athletically or competitively wasn't the best on that. But regardless, it's a bit unfair just because she's the, one of the few that has to come in with one of those. Most of the road rule players do have some sort of reputation, but they're not all there with, uh, you know, this season kind of is a mix of like one, two or three people from each road rule season of the past three or four. But she's the one that comes in with the biggest reputation for sure. Like the most like, 
passed around. Everyone knows it. Everyone just agrees to go with that as fact and not let her prove herself in this game the way most of the people, reputation or not coming in, get to prove themselves. So she comes in. She's on the bottom of the totem pole from the beginning. Even more making her on the bottom of the totem pole is that she's a little bit of a social outcast from the start. She, along with Rachel, uh, not two Rachels, Rachel Braban, Braban, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, but Real World Rachel, not Road Rules Rachel Robinson. Um, so Real World Rachel and, and, her, and Sarah become best friends in the house because they are two that don't necessarily partake in the drinking and the games and the loud partying and everything that's going on at night. They'd rather sip their tea and just talk and chat and become best friends. She eventually would you know, befriend Theo Vaughn, who was one of the few that would you know, defend her to the team. They would do crosswords together. It was real cute. It was maybe romantic. Probably not, though, because it seemed, I believe we saw Sarah call a boyfriend at some point. So I don't think it ever got romantic between those two. But those are kind of her only real friends in the house. Everyone else, more or less, they just created this kind of outcast persona for her and then stuck to it the whole season. Again, pretty unfairly to her and the other few people that fit that description, a Matt on Real World Team, he gets voted out right away. Rachel eventually gets sent home by Sarah in the first ever I Have to Go Against My Best Friend in Elimination. Uh, elimination. So another first to add to Sarah's belt, although that's one I wish, I bet she would wish didn't happen. But then we get through, we go through the season and it becomes a thing. Five eliminations, five wins. They first, very first elimination, she goes in, she wins, she proves herself, thinks, okay, it's over. Couple eliminations later, she's thrown in again. She thinks, okay, whatever, I'll do this, do another one, wins. And after that, the third, fourth, and fifth time, it just, there's some space between them. There's only one time where they're back to back. But it gets more ridiculous every single time it happens. She gains more defenders every single time it happens, just not quite enough to get herself from staying out of the elimination. But it happens over and over because the team says that she is the weakest link. Most notably, Adam over and over again says, you know, she's the weakest link. She's the weakest link. She's the weakest link. We got to get rid of her. That's why we're throwing her in over and over. It gets a little old very, very quickly, Um, a lot old even quicker. Um, but I want to know, I want to go ahead and do an answer for, for all time. Was this deserved? Because it's hard to keep track when you're watching the season. Okay. It's, you know, a lot of these are team events where they're doing things individually, but then their times are all added up or whatever. And you're, it's hard to keep track unless someone's like winning a couple things or getting disqualified. Most of the time you're like, oh, everyone's kind of in the middle. Who's doing well. Who's not. So I did a full blown investigation because I wanted to know how fair or not How justified or not was it to continue the road rules continuing to say Sarah was their worst player and she should go in? Now, this is going to take a moment, but she deserves it. And this very podcast deserves this. I'm not, if I'm going to be a historian, I got to get deep into the details. I've got to do the work. And I did. I went back after watching the whole season, I went back and rewatched almost every one of the daily challenges to investigate just exactly how she placed, how she fared, and if, in fact, she was the worst player on her team or anywhere near it or one of the best players or somewhere in the middle. So let's quickly go as quickly as I can, literally mission by mission, and walk through this. The very first mission is called Snake Soup. She is the ninth person out of the pool out of 28. That's not great, but eight people were before her. Five of them were on her team. So nowhere near the worst player on her team, middle of the pack as far as her team was considered. Second mission then was this big team puzzle. No one really stands out in that puzzle. No one does good. No one does bad. Their team does win, so everyone's happy. So, so far, 
Nothing to really go off to say she's anywhere near the worst player. Third mission is called Mud Bath. She gets 11th out of 27 total people in a mixed gender mud wrestling competition, which we will talk more about this daily challenge later on, but it's mud wrestling for big uh, blow up like balls that you would roll out your back on top of. And it's mixed gender. It's guys and girls going at the same time, fighting for the same balls, musical chair style, a few people eliminated per round. And she ends up getting 11th out of 27. She beats every female on her team almost every guy on her team. And she is the second to last or tied with two others. She goes out in the fifth round right alongside Rachel Robinson and Ronnie. They're the last three females eliminated from the whole thing. And Rachel and Ronnie are clearly and far away the most dominant physical females in this game. And Sarah's right there tied with both of them. She beats Katie, Kara, Coral, Abe, Elka, Kara, I'm sorry. I'm going to say Kara every other time this way out. Coral, Abe, Elka, Norman, Tanya, Rachel, Veronica, Steve, Theo, Tina, all of them. Beats them all. Very, very good performance. Fourth mission, ice cream. It's a big eating ice cream competition. She does fine. The whole team, it's pretty hard. Another one where it's kind of hard. Any, who does well? Who doesn't do well? They all do it, and their team wins. That's all that really matters. Fifth mission, holy canoe. Another one. Team paddles, half the, or the guys paddle, the ladies bailed water out. She does a great job, as does everyone on her team. Another one, nothing to conclude from it other than everyone is a valuable player. Sixth mission, heavyweight hustle. The team moves up as a group, has to go up this hill in these big sumo suits. Uh, she struggles a little bit, as does literally every person on the team at the one part of the thing that is the hardest. They end up, up getting up. She does fine. In another one, kind of our third mission in a row, where there's nothing to really justify anyone being better or worse than anyone else at the team at this point. Eighth mission then, Red Baron. She is one of the three to sit out the best daily challenge maybe in the history of the show, but she does so because no, they can't find three people to sit out, and eventually she is convinced to be one of the three people that is willing to do it in agreement that she wouldn't go in the gauntlet that time, which eventually doesn't really matter. Ninth mission is called Inferno. This is the first time she makes a real big mistake. She drops her toy cat climbing down. She gets a DQ. She ends up in the gauntlet that day. That one, you could say, fair. It's a disqualification. She's far from the first person to DQ and any of the events on her team, but is her first actual bad performance. Tenth mission, rolling on a river. She is pulled into the water right at the beginning by Letarian. Letarian is the first person to fall off. He literally grabs Sarah, pulls her in with him, and then she goes into the gauntlet that time because because she is unwilling to say Letarian's name. She's willing to say, I got pulled in. I did not fall off on my own. It should not be held against me. But she doesn't want to throw Letarian under the bus. He won't throw himself under the bus. Only does that to Sarah individually afterwards. So she goes in again. Complete and utter bullshit. Twelfth mission. All or nothing. She gets onto this rope. You have to jump on a rope hanging from a helicopter. She gets onto it. She is not able to climb up, which sounds like, oh, that's not very good on her. Guess what? She is one of 13 people who DQs on that mission. Only four people complete that mission. Alton, Nathan, Theo, and Theo. She gets onto the rope, which is only about three or four of the 13 people that DQ actually even get onto the rope. So she actually kind of does well. 13th Michigan vertical sweep does great, but DQs right at the end, which is another blow against her. Uh, whole team is putting unneeded pressure on her the entire time. The edit of this episode is so horrible to her and puts all this pressure on her and everything, which, you know, they know that she's eventually going to be a winner on this season, so I get it, but it is what it is. Then the last mission, Dukes of Saturn. She gets an unknown time because she's a part of a big montage of people completing it, but she completes it. It seems to be rather fast or you know, right in the average with everyone else. So in conclusion of those 14 missions, she performed 
probably certainly far from the uh, from the worst. She was nowhere near the worst person on her team or in the game or anything of that standard. She might have been the second best female on her team in total after Ronnie, who is clearly the best female on her team, clearly the best female in the game. Maybe Rachel is a definite over her, but this is not the Rachel Robinson that we would eventually come to know. This is far from dual two Rachel Robinson, let's just put it that way. But she's right there, and there is no reason you know, to think five gauntlets is deserved. One or two, certainly. She DQ'd twice. That's not good. Definitely going to end up in there. But there's no reason to think she's any worse than a handful of guys or girls on her team. There's no reason to think that her cardio was any better or worse than uh, Kara or Veronica or some of the guys on her team again. So in conclusion, total bullshit that she goes into five. She was not the worst player. Far from it. And certainly... You know, if you told me they redid this season and she ended up in three gauntlets twice because, you know, she DQ'd and a third time just because it got down to the nitty gritty and they decided, like, let's just go with someone who's already mad at us, I would get it. But five is truly outrageous. But she goes down in history. Five eliminations is tied for the most ever in a single season and breaking that tie with Wes and Casey and I think someone else that I'm forgetting. But she won the season, so... Arguably the greatest single season ever from a stat standpoint with a win and five elimination wins and a bunch of daily wins given the team concept. One of the best seasons ever in the history of the show. She carries the show throughout. She, you know, is the focal point. All the eliminations when she wins it, even when she wins, there's, you know, the story of they kind of celebrate her, but it's kind of fake. She doesn't buy it. There's people, you know, like a Theo Vaughn who really steps up and befriends her and then also defends her to the team of, Guys, it feels like she's not like the worst player. Everyone keeps saying that every time we have to vote someone, but like it doesn't seem like it's true. Uh, he's the only one who goes back at Adam at any point of like, are you sure that you're correct about your feelings about her ability to perform? Um, and she's she's just the crux of everything. She's the one that also clearly has the best sportsmanship of, you know, after multiple losses, when her team, you know, taunts the other team, she's like, this isn't how I want to win. I feel even more conflicted about this. She openly talks after the fifth and final elimination that she goes into about taking the game away from five people and being conflicted about that, which is a very interesting thing to think about, especially given this is the first season with eliminations. None of these people had ever done this. They never thought about that style of game where they're literally winning and kicking someone else out of the house just a whole new concept so sarah grayson hats off to you that's your deep dive on her season one of the better players on the season don't let anyone ever tell you differently she did very very well admirable job in all of the daily challenges two dqs not great but both in very very good solid efforts even in those and obviously kicked absolute ass in the eliminations so that's her. We'll talk more about her when we do some awards later, obviously. Now, moving to the next storyline, though. We'll be a little quicker on these next few storylines as we just got the biggest one out of the way. And, uh, you know, you'll have to forgive me. I couldn't help myself but do the deep dive. I had to know. It just it was hard watching. This is probably the, I don't know, sixth time I've watched this season all the way through in preparation for this podcast. And uh, every time, I love it, love it, love it. And I never, though, really fully considered, all right, how truthful are they being? I, myself, and I think a lot of viewers kind of just fall into the trap because of the way these dailies are of just kind of agreeing like, oh, yeah, so she sucks at the daily. She kicks ass at the eliminations. Okay, great. Got it. And in fact, as we just decided, she does not suck at the daily. She is quite good at almost all of the dailies, as it turns out. Anyways, on from her second storyline of the season. 
is kind of a big one too. While this season is real world versus road rules, it very much at different points turns into battle of the sexes too within the real world versus road rules game because each team has a little guy versus girl, man versus woman kind of tension going on, mostly because the guys on both teams routinely, routinely, sadly, continue to not see the value in the women on their team and that they, in fact, might not just be good at a lot of the things they have to do, but better than the men at certain missions. Turns out that even after doing a battle of the sexes season that was very closely contested, that the guys haven't gotten to their brains that these challenges are set up to be as equal as possible because that's how they become entertaining. So this is not going to be a bench pressed competition. This is not going to be, it's not going to be any sort of competition that, uh, that knowingly and obviously and outwardly favors either team, either gender, any season, any, anyone in the show. They're trying to make a show that can be compelling, which means they're trying to make something that can be competitive. The guys don't get that, uh, this season and they get a little, you know, a little, not little, some pretty big egos in some of them. And they routinely don't see the value in the women on their team. Um, Adam for certain was kind of the leader of this on the road rule side where he was really the leader, but most of the team then went along with him in that, but he was kind of the vocal one of it on the real world side. The vocal leader of this kind of changed a little bit time to time. And it was also a little bit less vocal. It was a little more, um, there was a little more congeniality on the real world side of every, every deliberation would, they would really talk through and they would just kind of eventually land on a woman over and over and over, but it was a little more subtle than on the road rule side where it was kind of outwardly, we don't want to vote guys off, uh, was kind of the, the attitude for most of the season. And it just turned into a big group think. And by the middle of the season, it very much is a like, Oh geez, like it, they kind of just only vote for women every single time. Um, and even when the women do really, really well in the daily challenges, it doesn't seem to matter. They're clearly on the bottom of the totem pole in almost all of the men's minds in the house. And the women, uh, you know, to to be fair, the women definitely kind of give into that in the early parts and are uh, willing participants in it, or at least the group that doesn't feel like they're on the bottom of the female-only totem pole within their team kind of give into it early on and either give into it slash don't fully realize where it's heading and it takes till the fourth or fifth daily challenge for them to really be like, oh shit, we've done a handful of these now and it seems like uh, seems like we're always getting voted for even when we do really well. And then the tides do turn to a degree in the middle of the season, mainly thanks to on the Road Rules team, it's Veronica and Rachel and Kara for sure should be lumped in with that, that it become very vocal and, you know, spot out, hear what the guys are doing, spot what the guys are doing and confront the guys on multiple different occasions of, Hey, this is bullshit. Um, we're, we're doing really well. We're winning some of these missions for you and this isn't going to happen. You're not just voting only us in every time we are going to start exclusively in our voting system, voting for guys to try to, you know, get some of them in there and keep the numbers as balanced as we can over on the real world side. It was Coral and Irulan who definitely pushed for it. So very big props to those five women for, you know, realizing what was happening and definitely going against it. And for the most part, with the exception of Irulan, keeping themselves in the game then until the end, deservedly so. But they push back in the middle. And then right at the very end of the season, the guys kind of push back again one final time uh, with the exception of Coral gets 
Alton's tie-breaking vote over Theo in the final elimination. So that was a big, a big impactful moment for the final mission that would come after it. But it really feels like guys versus girls uh, within the real world versus real world game throughout the season at different points. It becomes a big storyline. And the final stats on it that really back up uh, that is kind of bullshit on the guy's part and kind of dumb on the guy's part is, first and foremost, 19 of the 28 elimination spots went to women. So two-thirds of the elimination spots were given to women. Again, you could vote on anyone you wanted. It could be cross-gender matchups if that's what it came to be in the elimination ring. So out of the 28 people voted into the gauntlet, 19 of those 28 were on the female side. On the flip side of that, though, to prove that they were not just carrying their weight, but sometimes legitimately carrying the entire team, is out of all the daily challenges, there was 14 on this season, and most of them were competed in an individual fashion, most of those being, though, you know, where you would have a time and it would be the average team time. So all of those I would still consider a team daily challenge when I'm doing my stats for the season. There are three competitions, though, three daily challenges that were straight up true individual challenges where everyone's competing completely on their own at the same time. And it was last person standing wins the whole thing and therefore wins for their team. So true individual dailies where I count stat wise as individual daily challenges. And all three of those, wouldn't you know, were won by women, not men. Elka in the very first one, Ronnie beats the Miz one-on-one in the rolling on a log and Veronica wins the turntable one. And in all three of those, uh, two of those three, excuse me. I believe the first one was a little more balanced, but the second two, the one that Ronnie and Veronica won, the women do way better on a, on a whole as the men. And in many of the time challenges, it's pretty clear across the board that almost everyone across the board is pretty equivalent with the exception of Alton and Theo. Alton and Theo Vaughn smoke everyone and almost everyone of the, uh, there's a lot of climbing in this and those two are very good at climbing, turns out. But otherwise, like the women's times and all the timed events were damn near, you know, right up there with, uh, the guys times mate. The only daily that even comes to mind that it's like, all right, yeah, the guys did all, everything in that one. They deserve afterwards to be like, we're, none of us are going in the gauntlet today was the mud wrestling one, which again, they made them play mud wrestling, musical chairs, <laughs> cross gender, which was a choice, uh, to say the least. Uh, a lot of people got hurt in that mission. Who would have thunk that that was going to happen? The mud wrestling ones are always pretty vicious and brutal, regardless of who's playing against who. But boys versus girls kind of becomes the theme within the real world versus road rules theme. That was the second biggest storyline of the season to me. The third one then, moving into our next one, we've got two others to discuss here. The next one is a theme of this season. It's a theme of almost any challenge season, and that is romance. Romance in the air all season long. It never goes away, thanks in uh, large part to Irulan Alton come into the show as a couple. They leave the show as a couple. They're a wonderful couple on this show. I know I don't believe that ever worked out between them, but it that doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there during the season. They're wonderful together, and they're both wonderful individually as competitors on the season. Then we got Dave and Kara come in as a couple, leave as a couple. So we have two couples throughout the season that are there from day one to the last day. Then we get... The Ms. Trichel hookup relationship, eventual dating for some time during the show and after for at least a tiny, tiny bit, I think, because the next season, Ms. would have a new girlfriend in the house. He seems to be pretty good at getting one of them girlfriends in every challenge house that he goes into, but 
He is here with Trishel. It starts when Trishel gets hurt. One of the the moments of the season from a memorable standpoint, obviously I wish it had not happened because it was horrible from Trishel's standpoint. They go for a little bike ride. She gets going too fast down the hill. She flips over the handlebars, smashes her face into the ground as she hilariously says from the hospital bed confessional that she gives after the words. She just hilariously points to her face and says, and I landed on my face. And it's like, we can tell Trishel, uh, but the comedic abilities of it are hilarious. She gets super hurt. He takes care of her to some degree in the hospital, hangs out with her there. They uh, Romance is sparked. They eventually end up fully a couple throughout the season. They're kissing on the dance floor. They're hanging out. It causes all kinds of problems for him on his team. Looked at as the leader, he starts to vote with, uh, with the wrong head as a few of the women on his team would comment, and including one vital vote where he goes against his former real-world castmate, best friend, partner, absolute saint of a friend to him on the last season that they were on together, Battle of the Seasons, where she completely saved him during his darkest moment. That would be Coral. He votes Coral into an elimination. It's the whole thing. It's real bad. Thankfully, she wins. They make up kind of... They pretty much make up fully by the end of this thing. But then he votes uh, against Irulan over Trishel when everyone else votes for Trishel and can't defend it at all. She eventually goes home. He has to do a big apology to his team, and it's fine once she is gone. But while she is there, their relationship definitely rubs their team the wrong way as far as how it is affecting the two of them voting people into the gauntlet. No one has a problem with them being together. Everyone likes them, likes them as a couple, totally fine with that. But how it's making them vote causes problems throughout that is probably the uh, the kind of the most the biggest romance of the season. The two actual relationships that last the whole time. We we barely we see little snippets of it, but there's moments where you're like, oh yeah, Irulan and Alton are together. Oh yeah, Dave and Kara are together. I forgot forgot all about that. Um, so then you got Mrs. Trishel. Then we maybe have Theo and Sarah, as we said before. Though she's seen calling her boyfriend at, in an early episode. Does not seem uh, like the type who would go against that or break up with a boyfriend over the phone in the middle of filming a television show. Um, So I don't think anything ever got romantic between them, but they definitely buddy up quite a bit by the end of it. And others in the house comment on there maybe being a romantic element, but that's just some gossip from the other ladies. So probably not there, but at least worth mentioning. And then, of course, there is the greatest hookup in the history of the challenge. And that would be when uh, poor old Abe, uh, Abe gets voted into elimination. He goes against the Miz. He loses. It's bad. You know, it's it's a bummer. He's got to go home. The whole time, the whole season, he has been doing his damnedest to hit on Veronica and Rachel both. Uh, they, they're besties on this season as they had been in previous season and would go on to continue to be. And he's, he's doing everything he can all season long to let them know he is interested and it uh, it pays off in a big way because when he gets voted out or voted into elimination and then loses, it comes out that it may have been, probably has to be the first burn vote gone wrong in the history of the challenge. Veronica votes for Abe that day thinking that there's no way everyone isn't going to vote for Sarah yet again. And she doesn't want to feel guilty about voting Sarah in for at that time would have been the fourth time, I believe. So she votes for Abe and then stunner, shocker, so do a lot of other people, and boom, Abe's in the elimination, and boom, Abe's losing the gauntlet, and now he's going home. She feels bad about it. She's had a little a little crush on him as well. She openly says early on, I ain't trying to make him my boyfriend, but, you know, he's cute. He's fun. And so 
Veronica is doing her hair in the bathroom. Rachel's taking a little bubble bath behind her in what was very much throughout the season, a communal bath situation. And Abe walks in to say his goodbyes and Rachel invites Abe into the, the bubble bath with her. And, you know, then Veronica joins. They invite Coral. Coral says no. The whole house comes to check out Abe in his goodbye uh, goodbye party that he's got going on. And eventually the three of them would go from bathtub to shower and the greatest hookup in challenge history in my mind, my estimation would commence. It seemed like a lovely experience for all three of them. I'm happy for, for all of them. Um, and, uh, it's, it just goes down in challenge history as, you know, the romances that had happened previously on the show, it goes down in history for multiple reasons. The, the, the romance that had happened previously on the show, we'd had multiple people, you know, hook up or get romantic on previous seasons. You know, we just mentioned this is the second season in a row that the Miz is on that he finds himself a girlfriend during, during the season, but it had much more, there had been a lot more coy. It had been a lot more behind closed doors where then production would have to kind of poke and prod during a confessional to get someone to admit that it had happened. Similar, you know, thinking all the way back to season two with uh, Jason and Janet on the tennis courts at the Playboy Mansion. Iconic reaction of when they realized that they were in fact caught doing what they were doing. But this one is out for the whole house to see. Everyone knows about it. They're all asked about it in the confessional, and they all they have no problem talking about it, anything like that. And on a similar vein, but separate, is that it becomes a thing in the challenge house that everyone is always trying to catch everyone else when they're hooking up, even if they try to do it as discreetly, as hidden as possible, go find the darkest corner, the bathroom, the closet, the way off property, whatever it is to do so. All the other cast is trying to find it and uh, trying to call it out. And this one, because of the bathroom setup, the producers clearly, you know, the house is that amazing house. They weren't picking this house to try to, in, you know, influence people hooking up. But they had to see this big public bathroom with this huge public shower and hot tub or hot tub jacuzzi like bathtub and think, yeah, something cool could happen here. And something cool did. The whole house is there watching, basically. And that would become, uh, weirdly enough, a theme of Challenge Season's future. Others, people watching people hook up in the Challenge House. So, that was the romance of the season. Definitely a storyline throughout. Uh, you couldn't go two to three episodes of the 16-episode season without one or multiple romances flaring up here or there or becoming a storyline. Then the final one. And we'll do this one real quick so that we can get to some of our awards. But the real-world comeback that fell short. This season was... Uh, kind of three separate seasons almost in one, two seasons really. You could almost divide it in half from Road Rules kicking ass, Real World making a comeback, Road Rules capping it off at the end though. Heading into the elimination on episode eight, it was six to two in favor of Road Rules as far as daily challenges, 60,000 to 20,000 in their bank account, and five to two in eliminations, five Real Worlders having been gone, two Road Rulers being eliminated. So just dominant, six to two, five to two, absolutely dominant eight episodes in, things would turn from that point out and they would end up finishing eight to six in daily. So very close in the daily challenges, road rules with the slight edge, eight to six, nine to five in eliminations. They held their edge a little bit more in that realm, but event, you know, we'd go four and three down the stretch. So much more even they would go two and four in the dailies down the stretch. So real world makes a big comeback. At one point, they win three dailies in a row in two eliminations in between those. So they win five straight to really come from the depths of being so down bad to on a big high feeling like they're coming all the way back. They're going to get this win. And then they fall just short 
in the final. So from a competitive standpoint, the actual game itself, who's going to win, was a pretty interesting storyline to follow and was the first time where previous seasons, this is probably the most entertaining competitive season that we've had thus far. A few of the previous seasons, it's kind of been one team's clearly dominant the whole time, and it seems pretty clear they're going to either win or it have the odds on favorite every daily, every you know, every uh, final. But this one really, really feels gets that feeling early on. You're like, oh man, like his road rules just going to you know wipe the floor with them throughout the whole thing. But then no, they're not. They come back. It's it's interesting. It's fun. Both teams you know get real hyped up. There's some really good eliminations, some really good dailies. And uh, and it, they, the real world's comeback falls just short, but there is a big, big comeback wrapped up in the second half of the season and is definitely a dominant storyline. So those are your main big overarching storylines. Sarah Grayson, her entire story obviously takes the cake here, but boys versus girls within real world versus road rules, a lot of romance going down, a real world big comeback falls just short in the end, road rules gets the victory. Those all major plots and stories and arcs as well. Now, Let's move from here, and before we get to awards, we got one more section before that. Let's talk about what from this season aged the best all these years later, what aged the worst, and if there were any warts on the franchise coming from this season. What aged the best? Uh, Quite a few things from this season aged pretty well on rewatch, some 19 plus years later. First thing, Alton Climbing. Alton being a spectacular athlete, Alton holding, grabbing, making, creating the title of best athlete in challenge history belt. He not only creates it, he then holds it for many seasons to come. Alton climbing things, Alton being an unbelievable athlete ages really, really well um, from this season. Ms. Coral, Veronica being stars of the challenge and just outright stars of anything that they would do in general. That ages very well. It's very obvious in this season, and it would go on to continue right on that path. This rookie class ages really, really well, considering that Alton, Trishel, Darrell, Abram, and Tina are all rookies on this. That's five people that would go on to have definite large impacts in the challenge world and all the seasons that they're on. So that's a big Real good rookie class that ages very, very well. Then the gauntlet name and theme. It's the first of a trilogy, and it's one of the top, most top of mind names. Probably after, honestly, if someone just randomly walks up to me or a challenge fan and is like, quick, name a season of the challenge, I'm going to say Rivals. Rivals comes to mind first. X is maybe second, but Gauntlet might be right after that of just like top of mind. Uh, it's a cool name. It's a great like theme. It's not really a theme, but you know, it's a great name of the, the elimination arena. And uh, so the Gauntlet name theme kind of ages really well, given that we ended up with three of them. Eliminations. Obviously, eliminations age incredibly well. Uh, we talked long about them during evolutions. Don't got to do more here. And then, of course, the thing that maybe aged the best is Sarah Grayson's five for five winning season. Uh, it's aged like fine wine. It's still to this day at the this time at seven seasons in at the time of airing. This easily was at that time the best season in the history of the show that anyone had ever had with respect to Colin and Ruthie from the previous season. Uh, yeah, that would probably have been the best season anyone had had prior to that. So maybe not the best ever at this point, but it's still damn near up near the top of that list. So that is aged incredibly well. 
As far as what is not aged so well, but it's a little bit laughable these days, looking back, the first and foremost, Johnny Mosley, those outfits, holy cow, what? <laughs> Who is dressing him for this season? Uh, fashion 2003 as a someone entering you know in middle school at that time i i'm i'm not out here you know pointing any fingers that aren't also pointed at myself you want to look up my school pictures from then you want to find you know pictures of me and my friends from then yes uh fashion early 2000s maybe not its best time in history but uh johnny's wearing a lot of sideways hats a lot of collared shirts underneath t-shirts, a lot of long sleeve collared shirts underneath t-shirts out in the bright sun in what seems to be summertime Colorado. Uh, interesting choices to say the least. Doesn't age all that well, but gives us a good laugh and we do love Johnny Mosley. Then also not aging great, the gauntlet being held at a pool outside of a random hotel. Now, I've, I guess I never fully put together, they continue to say the Wyndham Peaks Resort, which I guess is this hotel that they're outside of because then the house they're at is not you know, a resort, it is just a house they've rented. Um, so the Wyndham Peaks Resort, the pool outside, it, it, it's not much of a resort. Um, it's, it looks kind of like your basic Holiday Inn setup, uh, and it's quite fun and funny in the moment, but looking back, now where where elimination arenas and rings and gulags and all the different things you want to call presidios or whatever killing floors if you will uh where we got to with them the fact that it was just a pool outside of this hotel in like downtown telluride is really hilarious (laughs) and just also just you know doesn't age great from a like that's the resources the show used to be working with thankfully The show has quite a bit more at its disposal these days. And the third and final thing that doesn't age super well is the swiftness of the medical team. Because in the final of this challenge, Coral seemingly is going down for the count because uh, because she can't handle running in the altitude. And, you know, at first it's making sense. She's like, yeah, she's she's gassed out already. Yeah, we're running four miles, you know, at this severe elevation. Someone's going to gas out. Great. She's gassing out. She's just tired, whatever. Let's leave her behind. But then we quickly realize, no, something's really wrong. Like something's like really, really wrong. She's going numb. She can't see. She can't breathe. They realize she's having an allergic reaction to a spider bite. And they ask her, do you have your EpiPen with you? And when she responds, no, they don't have one with them, which seems like a basic thing for the medical team to be carrying around, even if everyone on the season tells them they have no allergies. Just seems like an easy thing to have one of those around when you're dealing with 28 people out in the nature repeatedly. But uh, they don't act super fast. It legitimately seems like Coral might very well die, which thank goodness that she doesn't. Thank goodness that she's fine pretty quickly after this horrifying traumatic episode but they are not very quick they kind of sit around they're like all right someone call the ambulance late the ambulance isn't coming all right i put her in a car i guess maybe we'll drive her to the hospital it the the medical attention they're doing a good job they take care of her they get the job done she 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 comes out of this full recovery and is fine but uh Definitely wasn't the most swift of action or the best action we've ever seen. As for warts on the franchise, this season, thankfully, doesn't really have any of them. The one thing you would even maybe possibly mention is more of just ages poorly. It's nowhere near a wart, and that is kind of the guys versus girls, the kind of sexism, misogyny that's clear in the air on some of the males' part in this. But the way I kind of differentiate between something that ages bad and 
something that is an actual wart on the franchise. Mostly it is like, it's a severity thing. It's like, if it's not a really severe thing, like Johnny Mosley's outfits, obviously that's nothing severe. That's something we can just laugh about and be like, yeah, you know, uh, nowadays we'd make a different choice fashion wise. But a wart implies that it's embarrassing or real bad look or real nasty, potentially even, you know, criminal or morally wrong thing in the moment, that in the moment they would know this is, you know, really bad, this is morally bad, this might be criminally bad, this is really embarrassing, a really bad look in the moment and especially looking back on it, you know, we're horrified and we're embarrassed, that's a bigger word, if you're embarrassed for what went down um, on the show, that's what creates a wart. So this season doesn't really have them, we would slide the, you know, the, the, the attitudes of some of the men on this season into the age the worst category that sadly is you know it's kind of a little bit of a wart on the franchise from all the seasons as a total not just one season that in the early days uh they definitely the the guys were probably catered to quite a bit more than the women from the productions standpoint and casting standpoint and all all the other things we'll talk about that on the seasons where it deserves a little more to be talked about because i don't think this season was all that bad and as we talked about early on it was great to see a bunch of the women the veronicas the rachels the uh Kara's the the corals the irulans really standing up and throwing it back at the guys and the sarah grayson's winning all the eliminations and a bunch of them beating the guys in the eliminations so age the worst yes warts no this season thankfully didn't have any of those now it is time for the awards so let's go ahead and move into that segment give me a moment here we got to take a quick break as we get the hardware lined up we get the nominees listed we will be heading to the awards right now First award, as always, goes for the best quote. We will rattle these off real quick here. So buckle up. We've got a bunch of them. We'll run right, right through them. Episode one, Sarah, going into her first elimination after winning, has a great quote about what fuels her to victory. Let's hear that from her. Like having gone through it, I really appreciate all the help you gave me. Thank you. I hate to admit it. But I couldn't have done it without my team. <laughs> their help, their previous experience, combined with my will to piss them off and prove them wrong, has created such a wonderful vibe between us. <laughs> then there's Katie in episode two, who gets very mad. One of Katie's first memorable kind of outbursts. This one very rightfully kind of so at her team. She's got thrown into the gauntlet. She's upset about it. She's nervous about it. And she lets it be known that the game will be different from her standpoint if she were to win and come back. I'm just going to go home now. Huh? I'm not doing it. You mean you're not going to do it? If you guys really wanted the team to win, then you wouldn't put me because everyone knows that I'm not good at this. These people are liars and they're not doing it based on performance. They're doing it on a personal thing. And I'm pissed. If I win, I'll play the game very differently than I have been before. And I'm coming back like a bitch. If I lose, go real world. Okay. Then there's Matt, who is a absolute star in the early episodes of this season and definitely has some great quotes, some great confessionals. This one makes the nominee list in a very, very great way of summing up the, you know, the first ever season with deliberations where you're nominating someone for an actual elimination round. He sums up what's going down in a very messy deliberation room with Real World. And this clip could be used for this season or any season, honestly. It's just great. Let's hear it from Matt. 
It's a battle of politics, personality, and ego in that voting room. And we're going to have a crap team when this is all over with. Then we've got Coral, and we're about to have Coral for uh, the next five nominees. So you're going to hear a lot of Coral. So first one, episode five, she is in the middle of an elimination versus Tina. The dead man's dropped. They're hanging upside down, and she is cool as can be. She's ready to watch her opponent drop. Let's hear it from her. I look over, and she's just like a bat. I want to see her shake. I want to see her struggle. I want to see her fall. Three episodes later in episode eight, Coral comes at us again when during deliberation, the her versus Trishel, where's Mrs. Alliance really lay? Where's the team's alliances really lay? Really comes to a head. Trishel backhanded says, maybe I'll go in, but Coral's clearly the worst. Coral doesn't like that. She lets it be known. Trishel trashes everybody and goes, I think everybody's just not willing to admit their mistakes. And honestly, I think Coral's the weakest link. I was like, bitch. Then Coral on the other side of that is Trishel, who eventually goes into that elimination coming after that quote we just listened to. She goes into the elimination. It's a puzzle. She's going against Steve, the self, uh, self, self-proclaimed. That is the word. I'm just going to leave that in there. That's, that's the word that I was trying to say. Self-proclaimed puzzle king who said as a kid, puzzles were his friend. And then Trishel whoops his butt in a puzzle. Everyone is stunned. And Trishel lets us know that maybe you shouldn't be so shocked. You wouldn't think Trishelle would be good at puzzles. So all those people who don't think I'm smart because I'm a girl and because I like clothes because I flirt with boys. Booyah! Out of all these wonderful things that I've experienced in my life, the one story I'm going to have to swallow to tell my grandchildren is the day when Las Vegas Trishelle from Real World whooped my ass. Then two more nominees, both from Coral. First one, after Trishel goes home later in the season, episode nine, and Miz has to make a big old apology to his team. The apology is received well. Coral accepts it, but she ain't gonna do a few things coming with that acceptance. Let's hear those from her. It took a little bit of courage to come to us and um, look at us all in our eyes and say that he was sorry. Did I expect Mike to do that? No, but he should have. I accept his apology. Uh, I just am not going to make a parade out of it and give him a medal or a brownie or something. And then finally, in episode 14, Coral once and again. And finally, the last nominee for the best quote is that she is up for possible vote into elimination on the final elimination. She doesn't want to go back there. She doesn't want to go back there at all. She doesn't want to go back there so, so bad that she's willing to do anything else, including and up to this statement right here. Yay! If I don't do well, then that gauntlet has my name written all over it. I would rather burn my eyes out with cigarettes than go back to that gauntlet. That's your nominees for the quote of the season. And we're not even going to pick between the different coral ones. Uh, if we have to, I really like the uh, I'll accept his apology. I'm just not going to give him a parade or medal or brownie or some shit like that. I really, really like that one probably the most. But coral gets the quote of the season and also definitively and without a doubt gets the Dan Renzi Award for the confessional king or queen of this season. That, of course, goes to Coral as well. So hats off to her for that. Moving into then 
the best moment. Best moment award. We've got one, two, three, four, five nominees. There could have been more, but we try to narrow this down. First one, episode one, right away. Miz versus the Mini Miz in a wrestling match. Mini Miz being Abe. Miz is on his shit right away, announcing to everyone he's got the shirt. Abe thinks it's awesome. They buddy up right away. They decide to wrestle. It's a really fun moment. Mike gets to full-on be the Miz. They have some funny commentary around it. It eventually comes full circle when those two actually go against each other in a real elimination later on in the season. But that first episode moment is kind of the most fun part of a very fun intro into the house, intro into the cast. Loved that. Nominee number two, Trishel crashing, as we said. Not a great moment for her. Personally, obviously, we wish that would not have happened to her, but very, very memorable moment. One of the first moments I would think of when thinking back to this season, not only her crash, it's, it's out of nowhere. It's something we don't see it. It just, they announce like they're going on a bike ride and then via confessional norm kind of explains everything that happened. And then we're in the hospital and Trichelle's there and she's, she's pretty messed up. She's her entire face, like both sides of her face, top, bottom, left, right. The whole thing is bruised up. She has a concussion, uh, a bunch of uh, scrapes and cuts on her arms, but she absolutely is a badass about it from there on out. They, she has to sit out one daily challenge. The next day is like the mud wrestling thing. And they're like, yeah, you have a concussion. You're not doing this one, which is fine. Every other one after that she does and she competes and she does pretty well. Her and Miz's relationship, obviously the kind of kindles here and them in the hospital is super duper cute and fun to watch. So that entire, the incident uh, with Trishel and the aftermath of it definitely is nominated for the moment of the season. Then of the many different elimination wins from Sarah that we could give it to, because almost every one of them came not just with the moment being that she won something, but around it, what happened right before, right after, how it was celebrated, what happened between the teams during the celebration. All of them probably could have been nominated, but we're going with episode 10 when she wins her fourth elimination. She makes an incredible analogy afterwards that she has to go against Rachel. We mentioned earlier, probably the first time, not probably, the first time in challenge history that best friends in the houses have to go against each other. She beats Rachel. She talks to her afterwards about feeling like an inflatable clown that, you know, the kid would punch and it would fall down, but just pop right back up only to be punched again. It's an incredible analogy, a really, you know, uh, heart, you know, tear jerking almost analogy, listening to her talk about it as to her best friend that now has to leave the house. But then immediately after road rules for the first time really starts to feel like, ah, oh, this is kind of shitty what we're doing to this woman. Maybe let's bake her a cake. And they bake her a cake that actually looks like whoever did it or led the charge knew what they were doing. Baking cakes, kind of hard to do. That's why there's a lot of shows, uh, contest shows about baking cakes and other pastries. Very difficult. They pulled it off. They make her cake. It's a wonderful moment. It's nominated for the moment of the season. Then we've got Abe's send off from Veronica and Rachel, the best hookup in challenge history. As we discussed, we don't have to discuss any more details again, other than that's nominated for the best moment of the season. And the final one then Fifth one, I said there was six. Did I say there was five? Either way, there's only five. Fifth and final one is Theo at the very end. In the final, the final stage of the final mission is a puzzle, a tangram puzzle right at the end. And road or real world gets there first. They have a 10-minute disadvantage, though, so they know they have to get done 10 minutes before road rules. Road rules ends up getting there right after them in a reverse roll of Battle of the Seasons when road rules was at the final puzzle first. Real world gets there. The Miz figures out the puzzle, uh, the Hanoi Tower puzzle, uh, classic puzzle. Miz figures it out. They get it. They pass him. They win. Theo Vaughn is crushed by it. This time, he acknowledges in the moment 
That is a reversal of fate. They walk up. Theo figures out the Tangram. He announces that he is reversing the role. He's beaten Miz this time around. They do. They win. It's really, really cool to see both as a big, big fan of Theo, but also to see kind of that moment of, oh my gosh, the franchise is grown to a place where there's real history now between some of these people and there's history to draw upon and you know acknowledge in the moment to be able to say, hey, this exact same thing happened between these people two seasons ago and now it's reversing and now how cool is that? How crazy is that? What a fun and interesting story and moment that is. So it's very cool to see that the franchise, you know, it was kind of grown to a level where something like that could happen and as a big Theo fan, gotta nominate that. But the moment of the season, without a doubt, is is the hookup it, it just has to be i'm sorry uh you know don't don't want to be weird or anything at all but it's a it's an iconic moment it's unbelievable that uh, it happens and it definitely is something that would become uh you know become replicated to some degree and the romance and the hookups would become such a big you know staple within the challenge house for better or for worse and uh so that that moment uh with with Apologies to Sarah, who will be mentioned many more times in the rest of these awards. Uh, we're going to give the best moment to Abe, Veronica, and Rachel for everything they did in that bathtub and shower. Then, moving into our third award, the best athletic accomplishment of the season. Four nominees here. We will start with, uh, we'll just go out of order on these ones. We're going to start with Kara in the Ride'em Cowboy, the final elimination of the season, her versus Theo. I've I've never seen someone look so composed and so just at ease riding a mechanical bull. She doesn't move the whole time. She is perfectly still on top of this thing that is moving all around under her. The balance and the core strength and just the kind of calm composure. It, it's even crazier because Theo, big tall guy on the other one, is flopping all around. He puts up a valiant effort, but he's getting thrown every which way. He's flying all over the place, and she is just not moving, not moving at all, just perfectly still and balanced on the mechanical bowl. It's pretty incredible. It's the third time that that elimination was played. And of the six people that did it, it is not even close uh, how much better she was than everyone else at that particular one. Then we got Veronica in turntable. This was the daily challenge. They all sit on a, um, a, a massive spinning disc that is to look like a you know giant size record player. They all sit on it. They hold it onto a little handle like hook rope handle or hook if you will between their legs they sit cross-legged and they hold on while it spins and the last one holding on wins and veronica wins and it comes at a crucial moment when it's kind of the peak of the women being like hey you realize that we're doing a lot better than you in a lot of these challenges right and it takes one where it is a winner takes all for their team situation veronica gets in and kind of lights everyone's eyes of like, oh yeah, we should maybe recognize that they're doing just as much, if not more than we are over here on this side of things. It's a valiant performance and an amazing performance. And she, similar to Cara or Kara, excuse me, in the Ride'em Cowboy, Veronica in this one seems like we would never know because once she's the last one standing, they don't have to go any longer, but seems like she could have went so much longer than everyone else. She was the only one that didn't move an inch while she was on it. She got a great position, great handle using her legs and her hands to hold her down gets real low keeps the force down and just is clearly the most comfortable and i i without a doubt bet she could have went as long as necessary she was going to win that one then third nominee 
Irulan and Sarah joint nomination for their elimination. Dead Man's Drop, which was played four times on this season, three times by Sarah. Three of her five wins came in Dead Man's Drop, which is a elimination where you hang upside down by your legs from a, you know, a trapeze pole or bar or whatever above the pool. First one to drop loses. Last one standing wins. The first three times it is played, the the winner lasts you know five to ten minutes at most. I, they don't give the exact time on any of them, but it's because it doesn't last long enough for them to start flashing the clock at the bottom of oh now we've done 15, 20, 30, whatever. When Irlan and Sarah do it, they got to flash that clock because they end up going for forty eight minutes hanging upside down on this thing, which also for even more context back a couple seasons prior or one season prior the first daily challenge of battle of the sexes was basically this elimination but with everyone doing it at once where ruthie wins it for the women on that season but i think she hangs somewhere in the teens like she it's it, 12 minutes 13 minutes something like that it's not 48 minutes all right 48 minutes is insane and so both of them even though sarah wins in the end both irlan and sarah get nominated for the best athletic accomplishment for lasting 48 minutes in dead man's drop that is insanity but the fourth and final nominee and also the winner by while this is supposed to be a quality award it's supposed to be one athletic accomplishment this guy does win this one based on quantity combined with quality not just quantity but combined with quality and that is alton anytime he gets to climb something because he Starts the season, the first ever time they have to climb something is in the Inferno Daily Challenge where they have to climb a spinning ladder up into the air and back down. He gets second by three seconds to Theo Vaughn, who should also maybe be mentioned just right alongside uh, Alton for any time he gets to climb. Probably should be nominated as well. In fact, we'll just go ahead and say he's also nominated for best, best Athletic Accomplishment. Theo beats him the first time, but then Alton has to go against Letarian in a pure climb a pole up out of the pool elimination. Alton smokes it. It's unbelievable. It's so fast. Even with wet hands climbing out of a pool makes little short work of the 15 foot pole he has to climb. Then he has the best time by far in all or nothing, or I shouldn't say by far by one second over Theo. Again, they have the best time by like 15 seconds over anyone else. And then the best time again, Alton gets in the Dukes of Saturn when they have to go from one car to another, climbing across a ladder between them, 100 feet up in the air. So three out of the four times climbing is involved. Alton smokes the field with Theo Vaughn being the only one staying anywhere close. One time Theo gets him. So they both get nominated. Alton gets the win. Alton climbing, a challenge, great, a challenge feat. It has its own wing in the Challenge Hall of Fame when I build it one day. There'll just be a whole exhibit that is just, here's all the times Alton climbed something. Let's just watch and marvel at how great he is. On to the best daily challenge of the season, and this one was this is not a close race. Uh, there were a few good daily challenges this season. We'll give shout-outs to two others before we name the winner. Uh, Mud Bath, we talked about. Mixed gender wrestling wasn't maybe the best idea. Thankfully, they don't do that too often, if not ever again in challenge history, but it worked out fair, fine this time around. And I, you know, I always love, I'm a big fan of the physical side of these games, as I've talked about on plenty of different podcasts. And so the mud wrestling musical chairs that they do, this is a reoccurring uh, type of daily challenge that will come many times in the history of the show. In fact, it looks like it's coming up again on All-Stars 3, maybe next week in the first episode. It's very prevalent in the trailer, so who knows? But that one's really, really good. That's in episode three. Episode 12 has a challenge called All or Nothing. A helicopter hangs over a lake with a big rope 
hanging from the bottom of it. You have to jump off this platform, grab the rope, climb up far enough to get into the red zone where your time ends. If you fall or don't get there, you get, excuse me, you get disqualified. It's very cool. It brings the helicopter in uh, to it is climbing, jumping, heights over water, the whole thing. It's very, very good. But None of them, none of those two or any other very good daily challenges throughout the season can hold a candle to Red Baron. Episode eight is possibly, we're only in season seven, but possibly the coolest, not the best, but the coolest daily challenge in the history of this show. Red Baron is a daily challenge where they show up to to an airfield, to a a tarmac, to a, a hangar next to a tarmac, and they find out, they will be dogfighting. They will be getting in planes one-on-one with a pilot that seems to maybe be doing most, if not almost all of the flying, actually. But, you know, some way, some shape, some influence, they will have influence over flying a plane one-on-one, dogfighting, Top Gun style in the air. It is wild, insane, crazy. I cannot believe this is a thing that they did on this show. I remember way back when The Miz was on uh, Bill Simmons' podcast at some point back in the day, I think in the Grantland days, mid-2010s, and actually when he asked the Bill asked The Miz about like what's the craziest shit you ever did in the early days of the challenge, and he brought this up, and I had kind of forgotten about it, immediately went back and rewatched it then, and was like, holy shit, I can't can't believe I somehow forgot about this, and every time I watch the season again now, I'm just blown away that this was a thing that they did, actual dogfighting, again, who knows how much they were in charge of actually controlling the plane because it seems like it'd be pretty absurd to let them like really steer. I don't know that you know the pilot behind them would have such control of like anytime they make any little movement that could cause a problem, they could correct. I don't know. So there's a part of me that's like this was actually just the the, the you know cast got to ride in the plane and the, these two guys went one on one nine times and that you know guy A that was flying for a road rules team one five to four as the road rules gets the win who knows but it's unbelievable that it happened i can't believe it it's so cool the you know all of them in their outfits beforehand look great they do a couple montages of them walking out like very top gun type of stuff going on in it they all look great in the aviators the suits the whole thing the planes it's great it's the best daily challenge of the season without a doubt as for the best elimination of the season the first time we get to give this award the first ever winner and guess what It's going to be Sarah because it has to be Sarah. She won five of these. So with respect to the other two nominees, which would be Miz in episode 12 over Abe, knock your block off. They stand on a balance beam over the pool. They got the little poodle sticks. It's straight out of uh, American gladiators, you know, try to knock each other off with the enlarged Q-tips. That's what a pugil stick is. I guess that's a funny name for it, but it's really fun to say pugil stick. The Miz gets him. It's, you know, great. It's a great matchup between those two. It's, you know, that first full circle with the wrestling they did early on in the Miz versus mini Miz thing. So, that one's great. Trishel over Steve in Perfect Fit. We mentioned it before, but the, the follow-up on it is that it's Steve's second time doing that elimination. It's a different Tangram puzzle, but it's another six-piece Tangram puzzle. The way that works, they have to jump in the pool, grab their six puzzle pieces, get out of the pool, and put the puzzle together. Steve gets his pieces much quicker. He's out of the pool before Trishel. He gets to his board. He starts to put it together. He's struggling a little bit. Trishel gets out. And Trishel has, you know, thrown her six pieces up in the vicinity of her board from the pool. As she gets them, you know, she throws them out there. She gets up and she, one at a time, picks up the puzzle piece, puts it on the board exactly where it needs to go. 
picks up the second piece, puts it into the board. And it seems like at first she's not even like doing it strategically. She's like, let's get these pieces on the board. But happens to literally one at a time, six for six, place each piece in the board exactly where it goes. The puzzle's done in a moment. She wins. It's a big upset. We played the quote earlier. It's all great. Those are both great eliminations, but this award has to, has to, has to go to Sarah Grayson, five-time elimination champ, the original OG elimination queen. We're going to give it to the one we mentioned over Irulan and Dead Man's Drop because of the incredible feat that it was. All of her elimination victories were impressive, but that one definitely goes down as the best elimination, not only because it's one of the ones that Sarah won, which it needed to be for this inaugural award, but also because it, it... kind of caused a blow up between the two teams because of past actions by Irulan in other eliminations where the road rules team thought she was being bad sport. They were then very bad sports in, uh, against her in her defeat. It was a whole thing, but that's the best elimination of the season for sure. We then come to the best episode of the season. Three nominees here as well, and they would make a lot of sense based on the previous awards. That is episode three, eight, and 12. Episode three has Mudbath, a very good daily challenge. It has the Trishel bike incident and moment. It has a lot of people getting hurt, which isn't a great thing, but is a you know interesting storyline thing that would you know reverberate through the next few episodes. And it's still very early on in the season, so everyone there of this amazing cast, pretty much everyone is still there. It's a good season it is, er, episode. It doesn't quite win. Episode eight, Red Baron. Obviously, for everything we just talked about a few moments ago when we talked about that daily, it's mostly on the back of that, but that also has the Trishel over Steve elimination with you know one of the best eliminations of the season, so the best daily, one of the best eliminations. That's great, but episode 12 takes the win for the best episode of the season. It has a very good daily challenge. It has the hookup that won the best moment of the season, and it has crazy team politics, probably the moment... The moment of the season where both teams were at the biggest of crossroads, they might have each individually had different times where they were at their most kind of at each other's throats or, you know, things thrown up in the air, not knowing who was going to, you know, gain power, hold power, anything like that. But this moment, both of them were. So a good daily, the biggest moment of the season, team politics all over, just an interesting episode, top to bottom, solid elimination at the end of it. The whole thing, episode 12, is the best episode. And that brings us to... The big one, the big award, the season MVP. Who will be the seventh ever MVP of a challenge season as declared by me, Jacob Hollaball, your challenge historian. The only record books that matter, these ones, if we haven't mentioned that before, we'll continue to say it again. These are the official official record books. So these are the official MVPs of this season. It's a very big deal. And it's also quite obvious who is going to win this season. Obviously, it's Sarah. There is no other answer for this question. Although many people put up valiant efforts, definitely deserving to be on the ballot. Let's run through some of those before finishing up with some final words on Sarah's season, which we talked at length about before, but we will add a little bit to now. But before we do, let's let's round out our ballot. We know obvious winner up top. We don't have to try to be suspenseful about it since we know it. But the rest of the ballot, uh, well, it's actually before we even do the rest of the ballot. Let's start with the uh, the gone too soon type of category. They didn't make the ballot. They didn't come close to winning. But if they were around a little longer, maybe they would have. So shout out to Trishel and to Matt. 
Both of them had really, really, really strong performances. They were heavily involved in storylines. They were great in confessionals. They were doing well in challenges. They were, they were very prominent. They were definitely stars of the early episodes of this season. But Matt goes out, you know, after what, five episodes, six episodes, Trishel after nine in a 16 episode season. That's just not long enough to get you onto a final ballot, but it is long enough and a good enough performance to deserve a shout out as the just gone too soon. Otherwise, probably would have got on that ballot. Then a separate one, we, I don't know that we've actually mentioned this before, but now that we've got some uh, reputations behind some of these players, we're starting to get repetitive seasons with a lot of these players, and we're starting to have some of the faces enter the game that would go on to be you know, challenge legends and all-stars and Hall of Famers and OGs. We're going to now add a little, just a thing to touch on when it occurs, but the where were you? section of the season MVP discussion. The where were you section is the, I'm kind of shocked going back and watching that these people weren't prominent on this season. And the where were you's on this season were Rachel Robinson and Darrell. Darrell first season gets the win on his way to being a four by four champion, but uh, pretty much non-existent on this whole season. Uh, he's not necessarily winning a bunch. doesn't go in aid. Uh, deliberations. He's got one little moment that I can even remember off the top of my head where him and Coral kind of get into it because Coral's mad about other stuff that's going on and Darrell's the only one there at the breakfast table to speak up for his team. But otherwise, where were you, Darrell? Um, love you to death and you know, good performance as far as how you actually did in the dailies and obviously get the win at the end. Has a couple good confessionals right early on. Actually, I think I almost put him in. Uh, one or two of them made quote of the week or quote of the week, quote of the season. But uh, where were you, Darrell? Where were you, Rachel? Another one, very solid performance from the physical side, but just kind of not prevalent in real storylines, low number of confessionals, not around as much as you would think when just thinking back of an early Rachel Robinson season from what where she would go, the esteem she holds, the Hall of Fame career she would had, uh, would have, had, have, is still currently having, potentially, if we can get her back on All-Stars or Flagship or any possible challenge show. Um, where were you to those two? But now, finally, to the ballot, the ballot itself. Five people made the ballot that were you know, just short of Sarah, who obviously won. So I guess six people make the final ballot that received votes in some way, shape, or form. And these were definitely one. I'm not even going to put them two through six. These five people just all received some. They all received a handful of second place votes, third place votes, fourth place, fifth place, sixth place. You know, if if we handed out ballots to 100 people, 100 challenge fans that watched this season, these five people accumulated a lot of votes all over the board. We're just going to say they're on the ballot in some order, whatever order you want behind Sarah. That would be, first off, Theo Vaughn. Another incredible performance from Theo, who really under the radar as far as, you know, in challenge history thought of in the fandom community and, you know, the Reddit community, social media community, as being an early dominant player on in this game. Uh, we mentioned earlier, he, along with Outland, are clearly far away superior at not only just the climbing stuff that they get to do a lot of this season, but at any game put in front of them, they're very good at it. He has the moment, you know, figuring out the puzzle at the end and reverse over Miz from the previous season. He is the one who, you know, kind of, he not kind of, he befriends Sarah, but also kind of some half-heartedly, some full-heartedly defends her to his team. He makes a couple important decisions for his team. He has a really, really great season. 
Then there's Veronica. Veronica definitely receives votes throughout the season. She is very prevalent on their season. I was kind of surprised after the fact her confessional number uh, average per episode is a little bit lower than I would have thought it would come in at. I'm trying to pull the numbers up here as I'm talking. Only 1.4 confessionals per episode, which most of the people that made it to the end were in the like mid one to low two range. So not crazy, but felt like she had an outsized impact during her, uh, the confessionals she had. She, as we mentioned a couple times, you know, was one of the women on her team to kind of point out the bullshit and the hypocrisy that was going on. She wins one of the individual challenges on her own. She comes in clutch performance in a couple of the others where she goes last for her team and does really, really well and secures a win and some of the timed stuff. She just has a great season. She has, you know, the memorable hookup that we've talked about at length and is all around kind of a team leader pulling the strings. She is the one all season long who every time the road rules, their voting style, they they vote for three people and it's this point system. And it seems like every single vote, Veronica is like the third place. She's mentioned by everyone, but she's always, she's never getting voted in. She's, you know, one spot away, two spots away. So very good political game by her to always be, you know, befriending the right people and working her team over to make sure she just avoids that elimination as much as possible. She gets nominated. Then we've got Alton. We talked about his athletic prowess. Obviously, he is looked at. He is kind of the one that becomes the team leader of his team. He and Irulan really become the default leaders as Miz um, doesn't fade from leadership. He, he's kind of the leader the whole time. But as they have their issues and they decide maybe we shouldn't like just look to this guy, they immediately like, well, we could just look to this guy because this guy is absolutely kicking ass every single time, every single day. And he's just this great guy and everything else. So Alton, amazing, amazing season from him in his debut. Then there's Coral. Coral dominates the season. Obviously, confessional queen of the season, quote, of the year. Performs admirably as a big part of a bunch of the storylines. Unfortunately, goes out with the allergic reaction at the end, and I feel horrible that this season doesn't have a reunion for it to hear this cast talk about. You know, in the moment, I don't blame any the guys on her team. She's with four guys in the final. They leave her. They think she's just, you know, died on them, that she's just gotten tired and don't realize what then happens. And so when they lose the final, they're all upset. They're, you know, talking like, ah, this, you know, Coral really let us down. I can't, we should have got rid of her, this, that, and the other. And they don't realize. And, you know, I'm sure they feel horrible after the fact of like, fuck, that's, that's what happened. Holy cow. Like, we don't, you know, that just sucks. That's just bad luck all around for all of us. Um, but that's a big storyline to end the season. Coral is front center all season long, absolutely dominant, as is our final nominee that makes the ballot, but not quite the win. And this is this is a true MVP performance, and that is The Miz. Mike The Miz Mizanin, for the second time in two seasons that he arguably comes in second place in the MVP voting and feels like he is a challenge MVP and is just one of those that just kept running, keeps running into unbelievable seasons to go against him. He just lost out to Timmy Beggy back on battle of the seasons. This time he just loses out to Sarah Miz far and away has the most confessionals this season by 12 in quantity over Sarah, but over four an episode, which the only people who come anywhere near that are David and Montana who leave the first two episodes and Katie who leaves on the fourth episode. So their numbers are a little inflated by not being there for every episode. He's there every episode. He is front and center. He is a part of every storyline pretty much possible. He is, you know, he's doing really well in the competitions, occasionally not doing well. He's going into elimination. 
this, that, and the other. Miz has a fantastic season all the way through and really solidifies his, you know, Hall of Fame early, one of the best to ever do it in the early seasons resume. That's the Miz. That's your ballot. Theo, Veronica, Alton, Coral, Miz. They all get votes, but no one can win because the only one that can is Sarah Grayson for all the obvious reasons. She wins the season. She's the main story of the season. She goes 5-0 and in eliminations and never competes again like the badass that she is. And through all of it, she does so in a shit situation. It is not, you know, there's future seasons where someone gets thrown in repeatedly, never five times because they usually lose before they can get to five, but not just because the team kind of decides that they don't like her from the start and just sticks to it begrudgingly, regardless of if they actually do like her, if she is a wonderful, sweet person and is a wonderful, good competitor or not. We dissected all of that earlier on. So she handles, you know, a challenge house is always uh, a tough place to handle mentally. I'm sure it wasn't nearly as fun for her as it was for most of the other people there on that season. So overcoming that winning five eliminations, winning the final challenge, being able to do so right alongside Darrell and Rachel, especially having those two be there to kind of come full circle of like, hey, that's what you thought of me on that old show, but now on this one, you saw and we get to the finish line together and everyone actually celebrates her in a true, genuine fashion at the end. She's the MVP. It's not even close. Sarah Grayson, welcome to the ranks of Challenge MVPs, bringing home the trophy for the gauntlet. And then there was only one thing left to do. This season must go in the Pantheon for all challenge history. We've got to rate the season. We've got to grade it overall so that when we get done, we can put together the master list and look back and say, this is where that season ranks among all the great seasons, all the seasons that there's ever been. So let's do that now. As we have done with every season so far, There is an overall grade that we will give that will give it its place in the pantheon of challenge seasons. And then there are four subgrades that help make up that. It's not a perfect average of them, but it definitely makes, uh, you know, influences where the final grade ends up and is a helpful way for me to talk through the different facets that make up this season. Just quickly pulling up the final notes I have here. I need one specific thing in front of me. There we go. Now, We got the female cast, the male cast, the sport grade, and the show grade. Those are the four subgrades. Let's walk through them one at a time, starting with the one that is the highest by far, and that is the female cast, which gets a full-blown A. This is the best female cast ever to this point in the series, and it's going to be hard for me to think that there's an A-plus cast out there. Maybe there is. Maybe, hopefully, I think, probably definitely, especially in the next few seasons, it's probably another A female cast out there, but this one, Unfreaking believable gets a full blown A, which again, my grading criteria is strict. So an A is like chef's kiss, fucking nailed it. Can't believe it. Quick run through again. We said all their names before. We've talked about a bunch of them throughout this pod, but just running through. I mean, every almost every one of the women on the season is, you know, someone who has a case to be a Hall of Fame level challenge person and or personality we've got coral obvious huge name doesn't get any bigger than coral we've got irulan who has a great season we've got trishel we've got tanya we've got tina we've got katie we've got veronica we've got rachel i mean that is a lot of heavy hitters that is a lot of big names and the only ones i haven't named at this point are all worthy 
impressive people. I mean, I didn't name the MVP, Sarah. You know, her one season is, you know, as we've discussed at length on this very podcast, one of the best of all time. Then you've got Ronnie, a two-for-two champion who I'm thrilled to have back in the World of Challenge on All-Stars 3, an amazing challenge competitor. Then you've got... Uh, who's left? Who have I not even named? Montana, legitimate run, was a star of Bo- on Real World Boston. And I think the only per- people I haven't named now is Elka, who is an impact player in her couple seasons on the show. Rachel, other Rachel, Real World Rachel, and Kara, Car- uh, who also impact player in the couple seasons she's on. So, I mean, there's not a dud in this entire female cast, and 75% of it are like Hall of Fame worthy, unbelievable, you know, memorable and or legendary figures in the challenge world. So a female cast on the men's side, a solid B. There's some really great stuff here. There's a couple misses that just people that didn't hit this season or in any subsequent seasons. And, but it's still a very solid cast. Um, you know, obviously you've got your Altons, your Miz, you're looking at my list here again, your Abes, your Letarians, your Theo Bonds, your Durrells. So you got a lot to love here. You've got other very quality players like an Adam Larson. Um, yeah, you, you've got you've got a lot of good. A Nathan, a Norm. I got to keep forgetting Norm and or Norman, depending on the season, depends on the name. So a lot to love there, but a few, a few misses mixed in there as well. But a B, still a very good grade on the male cast side. And with both the female and the male cast, very important as always is that a lot of those heavy hitters make it all the way to the end. We talked about on Battle of the Seasons, I will now for kind of forever reference as unbelievable cast, just absolutely stacked, but a bunch of the heavy hitters went home early, not to say that it wasn't very entertaining. Those that were left in the end, still some heavy hitters left in the end, obviously with the Coral, Theo, Timmy, and the like, making it to the end. But, uh, but uh, you know, when they go out early versus you keep the the heaviest hitters all the way to the end, it just makes the season all that much better. Then on the sports side of things, we give this one a B, high variance. There were some super high highs. There are also some kind of forgettable lows that happened. There were some really good eliminations and a bunch of eliminations that were kind of just afterthoughts. There was some amazing, one of the coolest, if not the coolest and best daily challenge ever. There was also some that were pretty just, you know, like, oh, we're just jumping in the pool again or doing whatever and kind of forgettable. So a solid B with a high variance on the sport grade. On the other side, show grade also gets a B, but a very consistent and kind of different than the sport grade, which is big variance. Show show side of things, storyline side of things, it's very consistent. There were no real lulls in the season. There were no like three, four episode runs where it's like, ah, nothing really entertaining is going on here. They kind of properly spaced out when the, you know, the highs were, when the really juicy, fun, interesting stuff was happening, was pretty spaced out. And any lulls were still like decent, above average, good episodes. So show grade gets a B. So we got an A for female cast and then a B for male cast, sport grade and show grade, which brings us to an overall grade of a B plus, which makes it at this time tied with season three challenge 2000 for the best season to date seven seasons in we're putting it at the top right up with challenge 2000s now it falls just short of making it in the a category i do not know just off the top of my head i suspect you know it might be four might be six it might be eight i don't know how many seasons in the end will make it into that a range that true really high range of just unbelievable best ever seasons but I find it hard to imagine that getting a B plus coming in where it is, it's it's rated the best season out of the first seven. 
And I imagine by the end of this whole thing, it's going to find its way into that top 10 list. I find it hard to believe there's going to be 10 seasons better than this one. Uh, I, I think it'll probably end up in the back part of that top 10 when all is said and done, but we will see. That's why we're grading every single one. That's why we're watching every single episode, every single season, every single moment as fast as we can, which is proving not to be as fast as we thought. But a B plus, making it the best ever to date, tied for the best ever. I don't know what the tiebreaker will be. We'll decide all of that at the very end when we have all 37 seasons ranked. But to finish up here, why do I love this season so much? Because I did come into it thinking this might be my favorite season ever. I didn't fully, you know, I could point to reasons why I thought that, but re-watching it again, I was really trying to think, what is it about this season that just makes it so great, that makes it one of my favorite, even if I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it the objective grade of a B plus. I think objectively it is a really, really awesome season of the challenge, um, but I think it is higher even on my favorites list than it would be on the best ever list. And a couple things just as partial recap or as just last little notes to mention is the big one is I really do like the formulaic episodes in this season. Uh, It becomes a thing throughout the history of the show. You kind of get the formula of they're at the house, they're at the daily challenge, they're at the house deliberating, they're at the elimination, they're maybe at the house of touch again and the episode's over and you get that every episode and it's a nice, consistent Every episode, daily, an elimination, one person goes home, we have a final at the end. I really, really like it. It's easy to kind of, especially on binge and on rewatch, it's easy to kind of get sucked in and just uh, really enjoy knowing kind of every episode you're going in, you're going to get, you know exactly kind of what you're going to get. I like it. It's cozy. It's comforting. It's warm. It's inviting. I like the the formulaic episodes um, on rewatch, especially. Then, of course, the cast being so stacked, just objectively stacked, is a big part of why I love it, but even more so, it's stacked with a lot of my personal favorites. Um, Alton is a big, big personal favorite of mine. The Miz, Coral, Veronica, and Theo. Uh, I mean, Coral, Veronica, and Theo maybe are my like three favorite players from you know the first ten seasons. Like, if you want to call the first ten seasons of the show an era. Um, they're probably my three favorite people from the show in that era, and they're all on this season and all putting up great performances and getting all the way to the end, throwing Alton and Miz, other faves of mine, and you know, you've got a recipe for me to really, really love it. And then finally, the uh the final, the final thing that makes me love it so much is the where we started or should have we didn't actually start, we should have started this entire thing with, but we will certainly end it there. And we certainly talked about it at length throughout. And that is the Sarah story is so great. It carries the season, it's so wonderful. Uh, it's really heartwarming by the end of it. it. You know, it's tough at during parts of it. You feel for her and what she's being put through by her team, but she comes out on top. The resiliency is amazing. It's heartwarming. It's inspirational. It's a fantastic, and it gives a you know a full arc from episode one to sixteen of the season to be invested in and rooting for and feeling good about by the end. And so. Those are some of the reasons to recap what makes this objectively a great season, but also to me subjectively makes it one of my absolute favorite seasons of all time. And I thank you for listening to me talk about it for what has to have been without checking the clock hours at this point. But I love, love, love the gauntlet. I could talk about it for another couple hours if you wanted to hear me do that. I'm sure at this point you don't. Even you wonderful, wonderful people listening to this probably want me to shut up and go away for now, which I will do. But I will be back, as we said a few hours ago. I will be back next week, pending when you're listening to this. If you're listening this way in the future and it's no longer May 2022, that's fine. Thank you for being here. I'll be back with a lot by the time you're listening to this now. But if you're listening to this in the moment, in the week or so after it come out, All Stars 3 starts next week. Those episodes recaps will be coming. So I will be back next Wednesday with 
episode one in, on Friday, probably with episode two recap of All Stars 3. Make sure wherever you are listening, you've got that subscribe or follow button hit. If you wanted to be the best people in the world, you're already pretty much the greatest people in the world by being here in general. But if you want to hit that five-star rating wherever you're listening, that is super appreciated as well and helps me out a bunch. As always, follow us on Challenge at Challenge Historian on Instagram for bonus content to go along with these podcasts. And if you want to interact with me, if you've got a hot take you want to get off about the gauntlet, if you think I gave the award to the wrong person, I forgot to mention something very important, hit me up at Challenge Historian on Instagram. I try to check all the DMs I can. Let me know your thoughts and opinions there if you so feel the need. That is all for today. Thank you so much for being here. I will talk to you again very, very soon. Until then, peace. Everybody wanna be a Trains are automobiles. Say it's country girl. Says yeah, it's fine. And when you win the money, girl, money all mine. You're trying to find some peace of mind. And I'm the one to buy everything.